Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. <laughs> this is quite a popular verse here. I mean, it stands alone well by itself. It's one of those post-it note verses you can stick on the wall, and it's got enough within itself to really say powerful stuff. It's a good verse. Don't just listen to the Word. Do what it says. How many of you have listened to a good teaching and thought, oh, I'm pretty good, and you went right back out the door and just went back on to the way things have always been? You heard it, and you're not doing it. And then you start thinking, well, you know, God's not that big a deal to me, because you're not doing what you heard. If you did what you heard, it would make a huge difference. The blessing would flood in, and you'd go, wow, this stuff really works. But because you're not doing what you're hearing, it's, it's like a guy who looked at himself in a mirror and left, and he, he forgot what he looked like. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Those of you who actually take time to hear God's Word preached, and that's getting to be slim these days. There's a lot of people, they say, well, I'm saved and all, but they don't, they don't care to hear God's Word preached. They wouldn't make it past five minutes of listening to me teach. It's just too boring. They've got other things to do. Their desires are different than that of God's. People who have a real desire for God, they want to hear God's Word teached even if it's from somebody boring. And I think maybe sometimes I'm boring. I don't know, but I'm doing my best. (laughs) Are you actually doing it? If you're hearing it, are you actually doing it? Don't just listen. Do what it says. Doesn't do you much good to hear it if you're not going to do it. If you're just going to hear it only and not do it, what's the point? What good is that? Some people, they don't consider God's word worth obeying. And it's the people who say, yeah, well, we're busy, or yeah, yeah, I, I believe in God, but I just don't have the time. You don't find God's word worth obeying. Just go ahead and swallow that down. If that hurts you and you're convicted by it, change it. Start listening to God's word. Get involved in a Bible teaching church somewhere. It doesn't have to be mine. There's several out there. Get involved in a Bible teaching church. Go listen. Don't count ceiling tiles and go, well, I'm here at the church and I did that for the week and go home. You're not hearing. Hear the word. The pastor is teaching you for your benefit. He's trying to get you to receive and go do it, what it says. So, when you listen to God's word, you should be seriously considering how to apply it in your life. And a good pastor, I try to do the best I can, will give you ways of application, how you can apply it and utilize it. Here's here's one, for instance, when you hear God's word, think to yourself, What changes do I need to be making 
so that I can follow this teaching? Also, what sacrifices do I have to make? What things do I have to cut out of my life? Laying things aside, like he said. What things do I need to cut out of my life so that I can fit this teaching in my life? Friends, God expects you to be a doer, not just a hearer. What troubles me today is all the people who think they're just fine with God. "Ah, God's good with me. I'm okay. Everything's good. But they do not consider it worth the time to hear God's word. They don't care to go hear it preached. They don't open up their own Bible at home even to hear it, to read it for themselves. You can't be a doer if you're not hearing. How can you do if you're not hearing it in the first place? You are deceiving yourself. You're being tricked. You're being fooled. And that's why he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You know, it's pretty bad when somebody else tricks you. Well, you know, shame on me. They shouldn't have done that. But how pathetic is it if you deceive yourself? (laughs) Nobody else is even involved with that. You're doing it to you. That's pretty sad. If you are not a doer of God's word, even if you choose to hear it, if you're not actually doing what it says, then you are deceiving yourself. You're like a guy who looks at himself in the mirror, goes away and forgets what he just looked at. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's as ridiculous as somebody who hears the word, but then doesn't do it. Parents, have you ever told your kids to go do their chores? And you come back and you check later and you tell them, here's what I want you to do. Clean up your room, do this, do that. You come back later and they haven't done it and they go, well, I forgot. How did you forget? I just told you to do it. How do you think God views it when people claim to be his? I'm a Christian and he tells us to do things and we don't do it. What do you think that's like for God as a parent? just want to give you that perspective real quick. James 1.25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, underline that, highlight that, and continues in it. Big time, big detail. Let's read that again. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You want the blessing? Everybody wants the blessing. Oh my gosh. Everybody wants the blessing. This is how you do it. You got to look into the word of God. You got to be a continual doer of it. Well, I'm not a continual doer of it. I, I go listen to the pastor sometime. That, you're not a continual doer. You need to be a continual doer of what you heard. Well, I'm not really hearing. Then you can't be a continual doer. Guys, I'm not making this up. This is the biblical formula on how to get a blessing. You hear God's word, which here is called the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it. Continues in it. You keep doing it. It becomes a way of life. Major point here. You don't hear it and then just do it a couple times and say, well, there, I did it. I I, I did that once back in 1978. You keep doing it. You keep on doing it. You don't say, I followed the Bible when I was 16 years old. Well, I got saved when I was 16. Well, how come you're not continually doing the things of God, the things of the Word of God? You can't say, well, I'm too busy today. Well, I got other things going on. That, yeah, that's because you're following your desires. You're not really following the desires of God. Well, if I don't follow my own desires, right, I'll never get anything done. No, because God says, if you will seek first the things of the kingdom, he will give you all the other things that you need. You can't, you can't get out of this. It, it, you're, you're stuck in it, okay? God has control. The Christian life is 
a way of life. This following God and doing what the Word says has to become a way of life. It's not a temporary project. It has to be a continual way of living. You have to do it the rest of your life. I've got a trophy here. Since you're in my room with me, I've got a trophy here. I played basketball in 1983, and that's been almost uh, 40 years ago now, getting close to it. Um, And, well, we made second place, and I made second place in 1983. Okay, I can't get out on the basketball court now and probably play in a league and make second place. I just don't have it. But 1983, I did it. So there, 1983. See that? I made that. I got this in 1983. Well, this is old. This is 1983. This is a has-been trophy. This is, I'm a has-been. I'm a basketball has-been. I'm not a basketball guy anymore. I played football in high school. That's a has-been too. Christianity is not like a has-been. It is not something, well, I did this once, so I'm okay. Now, Salvation is, I accepted Jesus in maybe 1983, and I'm still saved. Yes. But you can't be the has-been doer. You have to be the continual doer. See, I don't play basketball anymore. Nobody can look at me and say, yep, you're a basketball player. Nobody looks at me and says that. Do people look at you and say, oh, yeah, you're a Christian? Do they look at you and say, yeah, you're a Christian? Or do they look at you and say, if you're a Christian, I can't tell? Are you the has-been? Or are you continual? Are you still doing it? We need to be serious about our walk with God. And don't be a has-been. If you're saved, continually be a doer. Be a hearer and continually be a doer of God's Word. James 1.26. Oh, look out, people. Here comes a good one. James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Wow. Let's get serious here, big time. This relates directly back to what James said about the filthy overflow of wickedness. You know what's really in your heart will come out of your mouth. If you're filthy in your heart, filthy out your mouth. If you're good in your heart, good's going to come out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth on a regular basis? What is your language like? Is it profane? Is it cussing? Is it abusive? Does it manipulate others to tear them down? Do you talk down on others to make yourself feel like you're better than them? How is your mouth? What is your, your religion? What is your belief system that you claim to have? Your mouth will expose you for real on what you're really, where you're really at. I've heard people say, in just one sentence. They have said how they are saved by God, but when they've got something to say, they just go off and they say whatever they want. They don't care what anybody else thinks about it. And they'll say whatever to anybody, and I don't care. And they're saved by God. I've heard people say that. Apparently, they don't care what God thinks about what they say either, because if you think, if such people as this think they're religious, if they can't keep their tongue bridled, their religion, their belief system, how they view things, what they think, what they believe things are. That's your religion. They demonstrate with their mouth like that that their religion is useless. Doesn't matter what you claim, it's what you say is going to prove where you're really at. Friends, do you really want to be seen as being a fool or as being tricked? Bridle your tongue. 
bridle it. For those of you who have never been around horses raised on a ranch, a bridle is a piece of gear that's used to direct a horse. It's a, it's a set of straps that goes around the horse's head and along with a bit, and that bit goes in their mouth, and it's put around their head so that the rider, whoever's riding the horse, can direct the horse wherever they want that horse to go. They're going to direct that horse, left, right, stop, whatever, with a bridle. And so the bridle is what puts the horse under submission of the rider to obey the rider's commands. Those who spout off whatever they want to say, and they're proving to the whole world that they are not submitting themselves to God's authority. It means they're refusing to obey God's commands. They're doing whatever they want according to their own desires, not God's desires, because they give in to temptation, their own desire. And it doesn't matter how saved you think you are or how convincing you are with telling people all about it. If you do not bridle your tongue, your religion, everything you claim to believe is useless. Which way does your tongue prove you? Psalm 86 and 12 says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. That's how I want to use my tongue. That's what should be coming out of your heart. That should be the overflow. It should be a good overflow, not a filthy overflow of wickedness. Because what's in your heart, whatever's in your heart will come up with your mouth. The old saying I've got, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Is your heart a filthy sewer that's overflowing with filthy, wicked language, or is it a pure, clean heart, saved by grace and praising and glorifying God's name? The next time your wrath starts to boil up, and believe me, you can feel it coming, saved or not, (laughs) you can feel when you're starting to get really, really, really mad. Remember that your own wrath will not produce the righteousness of God. It will not do it. Therefore, before you let it flow out, put a bridle on your tongue. Put your language in submission to God's desires rather than your own. God is the writer. Let him direct you wherever he wants you to go. Bridle your tongue. Submit to God's authority. Your conduct, your language, proves evidence of outward evidence of what's really in there, whether you really belong to God or not. So don't fool yourself and deceive your own heart. Hear God's word and also do what it says. Let's bridle our tongues so that our language will be led by God. Bad language doesn't make you look strong. Some people think, well, it makes you look firm and powerful. No, it doesn't. It makes you look foolish. It demonstrates that your religion is useless. So what is the flip side to useless religion? If we know what useless religion is, then what is good religion? What is a good belief system to have? James 1.27, he tells us, he flips it the other way. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's pure and undefiled religion, a good belief system, a good way to be. You know, visiting orphans. I have visited orphans. It's a very humbling experience, very humbling. Anyone who is proud, and and those who blab highly of what they think, I'm telling you, after you visit orphans, you will be humbled down. That will humble you down, if anything. 
visiting orphans will. I visited an orphanage in Nigeria, and it took all the composure I had not to break down while I was there. And to see the compassion of the orphanage workers who were there for the children, it's like a picture of God the Father who has adopted us from sin. That was a good picture of Jesus Christ to visit the orphans. It really humbles you down into a good, godly perspective. Now, widows in those days, when they lost their husband, they were easy victims of being robbed by the corrupt. The corrupt, evil, wicked leaders would take advantage of widows real quick. And God hates it when the weak are preyed on. He does not like that one bit to both orphans and widows. That provokes the righteous wrath of God when people mess with those who are too weak to defend themselves. And this is a direct picture of Jesus Christ when he came to save us, when you think about it, because we couldn't save ourselves. So he came to do it. And so pure and undefiled and unpolluted, untainted, undefiled religion is to have a heart like this, which Christ has for us. It was the same thing. We were orphans. We needed a father. And he came and died for us so that we could be adopted into his family. We couldn't save ourselves. We were being robbed from. And he came to take care of that. And so having a heart like that, the widows and the orphans, that's pure and undefiled religion. There are those who put on mere ritualistic performances of religion. They get in their church and they do these elaborate things. And it doesn't have any meaning to it. There's no substance to it at all. But visiting orphans and widows demonstrates an authentic walk of holiness, a belief that causes you to want to help those who are in need. God loves that. And to be able to live like this, you can't be tainted by the world because the world teaches you selfishness. It's all about you. It's all about number one, me. It's all about me. And when I don't get what I want, I blow up and I tell everybody what I think based on my opinion, according to how I see things, according to my belief system, my religion. The Bible says your religion is useless. You're reacting according to your own desires. You gave in to temptation. Useless doesn't mean a thing. You need to bridle your tongue. Strong stuff, isn't it? We have to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Don't let those TV shows of those people going off on each other all the time, trying to fight for what they want, their way, and all the arguing and all the goofiness. Don't let that start influencing you. You know, you've got time watching one of those crazy shows to switch it off and watch some Bible teaching somewhere. Uh, We've got a whole YouTube page at Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can listen. There's other godly teachers out there. Give them some time. If anything, crack open your Bible and read it. Just read it. Just get in there. I don't understand it all, right? That's okay. You never will understand it all, but get what God will give you to understand. He will. Put your time in that. If it means you've got to turn the TV off, less movies, whatever it takes, don't let the world have you. Be unspotted from the world. It'll drive you selfish crazy. Philippians 2 and 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. You know, we want people to see us as different. And if you listen to them, they'll corrupt you. But we are supposed to influence them through what we know of God's word. And it's attractive, whether they believe or not, living in godly ways, controlling that tongue, letting grace enable you, don't falling into temptation. All these things we're learning, these one, two, threes, 
being slow to speak and, and, and don't get angry and, and quick to hear and all that. Do that. It's attractive because we are lights, it says. We are shine as lights in a corrupted world. We have to show people the gospel of Jesus. And the only way they're going to listen to you is if you don't act like them. <laughs> James is telling us how to do it. Today, we talked a lot about trading ourselves, our desires away, trading my own desires away for God's desires. So just what is God's desire? Well, if I got to give my desires up, then what is God's desire? I want to know, Ray, what is God's desire? I'll show you one of them. 1 Timothy 2 and 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. He wants everybody to be saved and have knowledge of the truth. Well, I'm saved. Okay. Do you also have knowledge of the truth? Well, I heard it. Okay. Are you doing it? What about others out there? Well, I'm saved, Ray. I'm fine. What about others? You're doing it is not only good for you, it's good for them. That's God's desire. Let me ask you, does your language and your conduct prove that you agree with God's desire that all should be saved? If, you're, if you truly agree to this, that all should be saved, you need to be part of it. You need to jump in and help. You need to control yourself. Bridle your tongue. Not blow up whenever you feel like it. You need to trade what you want for what God wants because that's going to help other people. If you truly agree with God's desires, you will follow what James is saying. Does trial and temptation make you waver around like the wave on the sea tossed around? Does your mood depend on what's happening around you? Sometimes my mood gets affected and I have to maintain control of myself. Does the circumstances around you influence whether you will praise God or not? Can you praise God in the storm? No, I don't want to. Things are going bad. Why should it be like that? You know, in a wedding, when a pastor marries two people, a husband and wife together, he says, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. And, you know, that's the pastor's way of saying that he's giving you the opportunity to pledge total faithful devotion to someone, no matter how bad or good things you're going to get. And so it doesn't matter if things get good or bad, richer or poorer, sickness and health good times and bad times, regardless of how they go. Do you take this woman as your wife? Do you take this man as your husband? Either way, do you commit? Have you committed yourself to Jesus? Well, Ray, things aren't good right now. Richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, you can still give your life to Jesus. And if you've already given your life to Jesus, this is no reason for you to slack off and not hear the word and then not do the word and then blow off at your own desires. Let's get the desires of God going and continue in them. Have you committed yourself to Jesus? Now's a good time to do it. And regardless of what might come, good or bad, you need to refuse to be drawn away by temptation, but you can still praise and glorify His name because of His own will. He brought us forth as a first fruits of His creation. Aren't you thankful for that? We serve a good God. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first.
Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.